Welcome to IMS. And I'd like, my name is Matthew, and I'd like to introduce uh, Doug Phillips and Larry Rosenberg, who's to his left. And we'll be the, the three teachers sharing this week with you. And as I was preparing to come in here, um, just taking a walk as the sun was setting, noticing the beautiful sunset, the reflected light, the pine trees. My mind started to move into a different space, very removed from the busyness of where I came from. I wonder if any of you have already had some of this experience, already started to feel yourselves dropping in to being here. I'm going to spend a bit of time now just to introduce the retreat both asking us why we're here and then setting a context of how we can spend this time together most fruitfully, this week together, mostly in silence. So some of you may have come uh, because you have a lot of suffering on some level. There's something that's really eating at you and uh, you either have heard of or you've done quite a bit of meditation practice and you know that it's helped you. And so you're here to work with something that's off in you from a different perspective. You're open to a different way of working than just thinking about it, trying to hash through it. Some of you may feel like you're cruising along fairly nicely in your lives, and there's a spirit of exploration, discovery, looking at the possibility of the mind and heart to plumb new depths, to reach places that we don't habitually abide in, and so you're here, uh, not so much trying to get rid of something, but trying to open into the unknown. And for most of us, probably, it's a bit of both. Whether we've been meditating for a long time or whether this is our first uh, formal meditation retreat. And some of us may be even extremely new to meditation itself. Whatever our level of exposure, experience, we may share some of these common elements. On another level, when we enter into retreat, which is taking us out of our daily lives, we're actually entering into a space where we're looking at how we relate to life from in a different way, from a different stance. Normally, the way we live is that we're partially living in the present moment and we're partially leaning into the future and drawing from the past. Why? Because to accomplish the task that we have to every day of our lives, whether it be family or school, work, we have to plan and we have to move into those projections into the future each moment. And if we're living as skillfully as we can, then we bring wisdom into the process, we learn from the past, we abide and get nourished in the present to some extent, but we're always, in a certain way, moving into the future. Our minds are being required to move into the next thing, to plan for the next thing. So much of our mental energy is occupied that way. It needs to be. But here, guess what? The equation is different. When we come into a silent space of retreat, we don't have to. We're not required to lean into the next moment, to plan for it. Of course, the mind will do that anyways. But what's required of being here is to live life now, by now, by now. Because all the externals are taken care of. You don't even have to wear a watch. Because the way our days are so simply, so radically simplified, we simply sit and walk. And you'll hear a sound when it's time to shift. And we'll know from our bodies when we need to get a drink of water or a cup of tea or go to the bathroom. We hear the bell for lunch, for dinner. The end of the bell after the last sit at night, we go to bed. And we'll, as we settle into our community here for the week, the routines that we fall into will actually realize how exquisitely simple they are. And so they're designed, when we enter into retreat, they're designed so that we don't need to function in that mode of always leaning in to the next moment so that we can settle back 
and let the moment touch us so that we can abide as fully as we can in the present moment. And whatever our intention in coming here is, maybe we can discover something that's fresh and useful in our lives through moving with each thing, letting it have its own integrity. At the beginning of a retreat, uh, traditionally, there are, we're given what are called the refuges and precepts, which are a way of aligning ourselves with our intentions of being here and with the purpose that this meditation is uh, set out to help us to, to work with, to explore. So when we, if, if we're in a traditional setting, say in Asia or in some places here in the States, uh, <clears throat> you take refuge in what's called the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. I'll reflect on those a little bit. And you can recite them. It can be call and response or whatever. But here what I'm going to do is just give a brief reflection on each one. And then there are what are called five precepts or training rules that support us in our journey together to create a harmonious community to help support us in this process of exploration, the present moment. Um, And rather than doing it in a formal way, I'll just give a brief reflection on both the three refuges and the the five uh, precepts and just give you a moment to reflect on your own relationship to them. So the first, and actually, rather than saying refuges, I'll I'll say confidences. Because in a certain way, when we live our daily lives, moving into the next moment always, or planning for the future, we're placing our confidence in moving into a different space rather than being in the present moment. And here we're placing our confidence in the possibility, if we can radically live in the present moment, what that can do for us, or how we can get out of the way and discover something fresh. So the first of the places we put confidence, or refuges in a traditional sense, is in the Buddha. Uh, And the Buddha, we can explore each of these on a few levels, at least a couple. So the Buddha on one level is the historical Buddha, which most of us, probably all of us in this room, have some familiarity with. A gentleman who was alive 25, 2600 years ago, lived in India, and through uh, a lot of hardship, and inner searching, discovered some radical truth and a very concrete and practical way of uh, expressing this truth, laying out trainings that helped others to make accessible for themselves a kind of freedom that the Buddha discovered. So we place confidence in this possibility through the fact that there was a historical figure that did this. Other traditions have the Buddha, uh, it's from the early tradition, other traditions have the Buddha as an archetypal energy or archetypal energies that exist. And so we can place some of us with confidence in these energies. And this moves to a second level, which is that there's a, a universal quality in what the Buddha is. The quality of Buddha is the quality of wakefulness. When the historical Buddha himself was asked whether he was a a man or a god, he said no. He said, I am awake. So the Buddha represents a principle of wakefulness in the universal sense. And so we are placing confidence. See if we're placing confidence in this possibility, which is universal. And then in each one of our minds and hearts, becomes something very real for us individually, which is the final level. The Buddha nature, as some traditions call it, the original mind, natural mind, normalcy of mind and heart, uncluttered, unfettered. And that we each have this potential inside each one of us. The Buddha has said that he would have not taught what he taught if there was not the possibility of us waking up. So placing confidence or refuge in the Buddha means placing confidence in this possibility and using the strength of the universal quality of the Buddha and of the historical Buddha, if that's useful for us, to help us look inside and find that place in ourselves of wakefulness, of radical wakefulness. So reflect for a moment on the Buddha, how you relate to this for yourself. Do we feel, have we touched in our hearts and minds, maybe in little ways, 
Can we place confidence there? In the space and the freedom of mind and heart, rather than in all the places that usually occupy our energy. Can we orient ourselves to do this on this retreat here now? So the second thing that we place confidence in or take refuge in is the Dhamma or the Dharma. And on one level, this is simply the teachings of the Buddha, those things the Buddha laid out to help us to touch the Buddha nature within. And we're all here, obviously, to explore the Dharma. This is what's called a Dharma center. (laughs) Very simple. We're here to explore the teachings. One level of the teachings are, and you'll be hearing these at different levels from all of us during the Dharma talks and the meditation instructions. And you've probably, many of you have read read them in books. You've heard Dharma talks. they're They're the collective knowledge that points us to understanding in a certain way. And the deeper level of Dharma, the second level, is that Dharma itself, or Dhamma, in the earliest language of the Buddha, simply is the natural law of experience. When we tune into this natural law of cause and effect, of change, of that clinging hurts and opening, releasing, allowing, letting go, leads to levels of freedom. When we start to see into the Dharma, the Dhamma itself, then we don't need the verbal teachings. We don't need the inspiration. We have for ourselves living truth. And that's the way that the Dharma is actually meant to be taken. The Buddha said, if you want to see me, see the Dharma. See the living truth of each moment as it unfolds. So think about our relationship to both the teachings, just reflect for a moment, the teachings and the natural law of experience unfolding. And see if we can rest and incline our minds and hearts to move in this direction in this time together. And the final of the three refuges is the Sangha. And Sangha means community. On one level, historically, it's meant that we place confidence or refuge in those who have actually realized at a deep level uh, these truths that the Buddha is pointing at, these possibilities of mind and heart, so that the mind is actually intrinsically uh, freer, that we live at a deeper level of freedom without all the obscurations that cause us suffering. So it's said that historically, the traditional Sangha has realized this to a very deep extent, and we place confidence in this. In a much more practical level, immediate level, we place confidence in practicing together, in the living community that we're forming with each other for this time together. Many of us come from Sanghas, right? We come from places where people sit together and support each other in silence and in discussion. And many of us don't have such strong structures of sangha where we live, and that's one reason why we're here. And so we're all going through a process together. We're all in community together. We're all supporting each other by our efforts and by our willingness to create a harmonious community and try to stay by the and live by the, the codes and the, the ways of moving together that support that, support that inquiry. The last level of sangha, of placing refuge or confidence in sangha, can be looking into, when we do the deep work of looking into our inner hearts and minds, to realize that all the little, it's metaphorically speaking here, but all the beings, all the parts of ourselves that are inside, that are split off, that are conflicted, that all hold tremendously strong but different types of energies, and that they often sap our energy because they're at war with each other internally that we actually place confidence in the fact that we can touch a mind and heart, a willingness to let them all coexist, to not need to kill anything inside. And by this not killing, we're actually affirming that the community that we exist with internally, and this is the hardest level for us to get, 
that these energies can actually move, that we can take refuge, not in the energies themselves, but in them as a collective, in not destroying and sapping our life force of the present moment. So the first two are much traditional, and this last one is a way that when we look up into ourselves, we have to deal with this. We'll see over time when we look inside. (laughs) Can we be with ourselves as we are, without pushing or pulling anything? Can we take refuge in this possibility inside ourselves? So reflecting here on Sangha. How does Sangha inspire us? How can it help us in this time? Both together and alone. So these three, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, places we place confidence, a movement of the mind and heart inward, and in community, in support of community. And so briefly, I'll just go over what are, what are called the five precepts, our training rules, which are expressions of how we can create and support each other in harmony here together, and they also have clear reflection for our outer lives when we're outside of here. So the first is uh, not to kill. And all of these have a, both a positive, you can say a negative and a positive aspect. So not to kill simply means not to harm living beings intentionally, not to kill them intentionally. So here that might mean if you feel like smashing a bug when you're walking in the woods that you brush it aside instead. It might be that simple. And it's touching in with the natural law of Dharma and respect for life that cause and effect. That everything we do in terms of our minds and hearts has a consequence. So we both intend not to kill, not to harm, and also to support life, to support the life that is the vibrancy of living in the present moment fully. So giving life to life. There's a Chinese expression that says, "You, by not being present, kill life. But by being present, you give life to life itself. So can we work with this aspect, non-harming? The second is non-lying. Well, we're in silence together, so (laughs) that should be a fairly simple one, right? On one level. Well, we will open our mouths occasionally in group interviews and individual interviews. There's always the possibility to intentionally mislead, but probably we won't be doing that much here. So on one level, we keep our mouths shut, we stay out of trouble. But on another level, non-lying is actually, what's the opposite of lying? Honesty. The positive level is actually to create a relationship with ourselves, and this is what the practice is oriented towards doing. So we can actually see clearly how life is unfolding. We can actually see it clearly so that we have an honest relationship with ourselves. So we don't lie to ourselves. So we don't need to cover up and run away. And the teachings, either gently or very directly, help us to do this. So what's our relationship to lying? or to telling the truth with words and in silence. The next one is uh, the negative aspect is stealing. And on the context of retreat, it pretty much means being respectful of other people's things. And in little ways, it can hurt a lot. I remember once I was a, a, a camp a leader up in Vermont one summer, and I used to, I stayed out in a tent, and I used to keep my a, a bag up in the, uh, a community bathroom. And one time I went to use it, my black bag with my toiletries and everything. I went to use it and it was gone one morning. The whole thing was just gone. I was like, wait a minute. I put trust in this community. And it hurt a lot. Now, I wasn't so wise, I didn't let it go. But there was something there. It was like, oh, you form a community and then you respect each other's place within that community. And it's a fairly tight community, right? Many of us Perhaps most of us have our own rooms. But besides that, we share a lot of space. And how to be respectful of that space is the positive aspect of not taking, but it's how do we, how do we honor 
how can we actually be generous in terms of giving people their own space, giving ourselves their own space? The next is working with our sexual energies. And traditionally, it said uh, no sexual misconduct. So for us here, that means uh, no sexual activity with others or with ourselves, the best of our ability. But it also means the positive aspect is not splitting off, not creating a demon out of these energies either but seeing if we can allow them to exist as we do all of our experience in a greater context that a deepening appreciation and abiding in the present moment allows us. The goal, again, is not to be split off, to take refuge in the wholeness in a certain way of our experience. And this includes, at a very deep level, the energies of procreation. So how can we both not act out on and not suppress the vital force within us. And the last of the reflections is intoxicants. And intoxicants on one level is um, just not taking intoxicants that cloud the mind. So uh, traditionally this means often alcohol, uh, other mind-altering substances. And it's a fairly uh, clean environment in that way here. Some of us have our little stashes of coffee, I'm sure. <laughs> there's a supply of tea available. <laughs> and then, of course, there's always food. And so on one level, it's just refraining. And another level is how can we create a positive relationship with the things that we put into our bodies to help create a harmonious environment in this body and help us to wake up? And through the retreat, we'll we have a, quite an opportunity to experiment with this. So sometimes I've come on retreats and I drink a lot of tea. I love tea. And uh, after a couple of days, I can't drink it anymore. And I usually push it for about a day because I don't, my body gets jagged after a while. I'm in a very different environment than how it keeps me up during the day when I'm outside. And so then when I listen to my body, I slow down. I don't need it. Sometimes I don't listen. So you'll find out for yourselves. Same thing with food. Too much, too little. Okay. So through these training rules or guidelines, we are asked both within ourselves and within the community to orient ourselves towards harmony so that we can investigate the possibility of wakefulness, which is the first of the places we put confidence, the Buddha. But Buddha as wakefulness in our own hearts and minds so that we can work to uncover this potential, to have direct relationship with what is not it, to have a more honest, open relationship with ourselves, and to work with the support of all of us together to do that. So that's the intention of these, these precepts, these uh, guidelines, these refuges. And if you're new to retreat life, it may take a while to get used to it. But see if you can place your intention, place your willingness to work with these things. So can we learn to live in the whole together to support each of our awakening? I hope that we have a good journey together because that's exactly what it is. And we're all on this journey. We just happen to be, uh, you can say we're all, we're in a different part of the ship. Maybe we're steering the ship, but we're all in the ship together. And in a certain way, um, if there's no wind in the sails, I don't know if this is a good analogy or not, we're all rowing. And the more we all row together, the better we actually all go. Thich Nhat Hanh, many of you have probably known of, he said the next Buddha is going to be a Sangha. Well, I don't know if I buy that or not. But what does it mean? It means that the collective quality of wakefulness in our hearts, as we uncover it, as we're willing to look inside, and as we express it, which is what all of us are here for, we're to express it in silence here, but then we move out. Hopefully, we'll gain something very valuable to touch the world, both in small ways and perhaps large ways. So if the Buddha, if wakefulness is in a Sangha, is in community, what does that mean? We're all part of that community. 
So hope we all have a good uh, good journey together. And um, I'll hand you on to uh, Doug, Larry. Can you hear this in the back? Okay. Uh, I'm. I'm. Did Ed say anything about silence in his talk to you all? Yeah. Okay. Um, just a very quick word um, before Larry does the instructions. Um, for those of you who are new to this way of practicing, uh, silence in the beginning of a retreat is very fragile, tender. Uh, and each of us has a certain responsibility to hold that silence. Uh, in the beginning, uh, the frame is about external silence. Uh, most of us in the beginning of a retreat internally are usually not real silent. Um, but you'll find if uh, you don't read and you don't write and you avoid eye contact uh, and you talk only when truly necessary to do your job or if there's an emergency. And you, uh, when you're sitting, you move as little as possible. You'll find that as the week goes on, the silence will deepen in a really lovely way. So uh, silence has to do with how you step through a door, uh, with how you get out of bed in the morning, uh, with how you eat your food. Uh, and you'll hear something from all of us about the silence. Uh, we can all talk about silence a lot, which hopefully we'll, we'll mostly avoid. Um, as it goes on, I think you'll find uh, the holding the external framework will contribute greatly to uh, internally things slowing down and, and quieting down without being forced. That's it. If you need to stand, please do so because you've been, I know you just moved, but if you really feel the need to stand for just for a few moments, please do so because we'll be sitting again. It won't be a long sitting, but you've been sitting for some time now. Can you all hear me in the back? Arrange your body so it's upright. 
with the head, the neck, the back are in a straight line, but upright without being rigid. And if your chin is tilted downwards just slightly, that can be helpful. All this helps us stay awake, helps the breathing flow more freely. And as you learn, those of you who do the yoga that we'll be having here, the mindfulness yoga once a day, just as a <clears throat> standard for yoga posture being accomplished is that it's both stable and comfortable. So we're learning our way into that. Some of you are rather new to this and you may find your body is both unstable and uncomfortable. Well, you have to start somewhere. So arranging the body as best as you can From the inside, it's not so much giving it a command to sit straight as easing into an upright, relaxed posture and taking a few moments, just a few moments, to course through the body, see if there are any obvious places of tension. Common places in the body that accumulate tension Sometimes the eyes are squeezed shut very tightly. The jaw tense, perhaps out of determination, the shoulders up high for the same reason. It's not so much relaxing a part of the body as seeing the tension. Allow mindfulness to visit and feel the tension. And then to whatever degree any relaxation happens is fine. We're not, don't try to spend the whole sitting getting a perfect body. So the body is upright. Relaxed as we can manage right now. And take a look at the mind. What kind of mind are we beginning our retreat together with. You come here with some problem that you're going to solve, some very precise agenda, some issue. I would drop it. It's just going to cause you trouble. Optimistic, pessimistic, if you're very new to retreat life, perhaps a little nervous. It's not to be any particular way, it's to know the way you are right now. Just in a relaxed, very common sense way. How are you starting the retreat? Tomorrow, during the sitting right after breakfast, We'll lay the groundwork for a set of instructions that will basically remain the same throughout the whole retreat. It'll be very simple. And I think allow for the different levels of experience and also the uncertainty of each sitting. for tonight, let's begin quite simply just noticing that each and every one of us in this meditation hall is breathing. How beautiful. Each one of us is breathing. We should say we're alive. Did you know that, that you're alive? Well, you are. So am I. Not thinking about it, just feeling the breath sensations. 
Some of you locate your attention at the nostrils, some the abdomen. A number of us are just aware of the whole body sitting and breathing, feeling breath sensations wherever we feel them. If you're new to this form of meditation, start off with the abdomen or the nose and through experimentation you'll find the best place to locate your attention. Officially, this form of practice is referred to as shamatha. As it gets deeper, it's sometimes called samadhi. Calming, bringing some serenity, tranquility into the mind. Concentration, that's a common term used for it. But there are other skills that we'll be learning that are very important when the instructions are enlarged, expanded. One is this ability to leave things alone. Can you leave the breath alone? Can you just let the breath happen? Just let it breathe itself? So it's the art of allowing, perhaps more religious terminology, it's a kind of surrender. To what? just the breathing as it is. There's no particular way in which the breath is supposed to be. This is not pranayam or breath therapy. It's more training in being awake to however the breath sensations are. So as it turns out, Most of you know this, perhaps you all know it. The quality of the breathing keeps changing. Sometimes it's just a joy to be sitting and breathing. The flow is so smooth, entering and exiting freely. Just a joy to be breathing. Other times, the breath fights its way in and out. Struggle. Unpleasant. It can be coarse, it can be fine, it can be deep, shallow, vivid, vague. The challenge is to be awake so that it's at an actual advantage for the breath to keep changing its quality. Because what we're interested in is our ability to stay awake, independent, of the quality of the breathing. In this sense, the breath is training the mind. Be sensitive to each breath just as it is, and then to receive it. We're not running out trying to grasp anything. Settle into our bodies. The breathing is happening anyway. And just receiving it exactly as it is. And as this happens, the world doesn't stop. You might hear some sounds in the hall. The brain keeps secreting thoughts and images. Let it. body will feel a certain way. Our primary focus is on the breath sensations. That's what's featured. But we're not trying to push anything else, anything that's other than breathing, away. We're not trying to become thought-free. If that happens, good. It will happen naturally. 
if you find yourself struggling, it's a hint that something's off. So we're sitting, breathing. I think all of us know from time to time the mind having a mind of its own. Here's the instructions. I think they're pretty clear, pretty simple, straightforward. And it just does what it wants to do, goes somewhere else. It prefers something typically of an imagining about some future event. It's just a projection. Or it dips into its memory bank. trying to relive something. You're not doing it. The mind is doing it. We find that we're not with the breath at all. Rather, we've shifted from the breath to some preoccupation which has enveloped us. When you see that, see if you can learn to just see it in that moment of being aware of unawareness. You're practicing again, just easing back to the breath as many times as you need to. And once again, being with the breathing, the breath sensations just as they are. No need for blame, evaluation, or any kind of judgment, harshness. Again, your mind may hear this and disregard it and start keeping score. Tell you that you're weak in concentration or strong. These are just thoughts. Let them go. Just hear them as thoughts. And in this particular meditative kind of training, just hand yourself over to the breath sensations, taking it one breath at a time. Just this in-breath, just this out-breath. Moving back and forth between breath. And when we lose the breath, without making a a fuss, just come back. That's it.
this first evening practicing together. Some of us have come a long way, traveled for many hours. It's a good idea to get a good night's rest. Some of you feel fresh and live nearby and you feel like sitting a bit more, please do. Right now, listen to the sound of the bell. Stay in your, stay aware, stay awake, keep your meditative mind alert, and listen to sound. Get some rest. We'll go at it again tomorrow morning. Let's have a fruitful, harmonious, or if it's not harmonious, we'll work with that week together, whatever shows up. It's not just the breath we're talking about. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.